Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. Could you imagine in your head if I said a nasal-sounding singer? Yeah, absolutely. So if you if if you were listening to a band thinking, well, the band sounds a bit that singer sounds too nasally or a bit too kind of honky sounding, you know, yes. it's not been EQ'd properly. You'd understand. You can picture in your mind's ear <laughs> what that sounds like, right? But can yeah. you translate that to a frequency range on an on an EQ? If you were to immediately try and you know EQ that out to make it sound better, a bit more rounded, a bit more flat but you know what frequency to go to immediately Greetings, welcome to this week's show. Now this week we are carrying on with our part two of the live sound um, conversation that Kieran and I had a few weeks ago. We've been talking about the things that you can do to to boost the experience for yourselves and for your listeners at your, at your shows with your band. And I think what we discovered together when we spoke about this is that we can make some pretty big improvements with just a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of extra kit to support your PA system and giving it a go. Hope you enjoy it. Um, come and follow us on our social media pages. You can find them at facebook.com forward slash guitar smarts and on Instagram as well. You can find us there at guitar underscore smarts. And remember, the biggest thing you can do to support our show is to give us a rating and a review on a podcast platform that you listen to us on. I've made it easy for you, though. There are some links in the description of the podcast that will take you to the different places that you can leave us a rating and a review. That would be really helpful. Finally, we've actually now started to create some merch merchandise too so within the description of the podcast you can find a link to our etsy store where you can get hold of some guitar smarts merchandise we've got some hats t-shirts um, iphone cases and also we have a mug so you can get a nice guitar smarts coffee mug too uh, come and support us that would be really helpful and also if you don't want to buy any merchandise but you do want to support the show go to the description and again you can find a link in there to buymeacoffee.com forward slash guitar smarts where you can make a donation to the show to show your support and that would really help us to cover the cost of running the show anyway that's enough waffle from me hope you enjoy the show today let's get to it As I'm listening to you and talking through some of some of this stuff, the more I'm appreciating, obviously, why it's it's such a skill and such a 
a wonderful thing to be able to have a sound engineer out with you if you're gigging because all of these things are like like it's it's it, they know all of this stuff and they know how to do this because when you did all of this for us in our previous band you did it in a very uh chilled out very relaxed way there was no stress with it and you, obviously this is knowledge you've accrued and, and a sensibility that you, you've accrued to do this that comes um you know almost a second nature and uh i think that's that's something that as i'm listening to you going right i've got to remember this and we've got to work through all of these steps i'm i'm realizing um, this is this is quite this is quite a level of detail and quite a, uh not not a, a daunting thing but it's 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 um it's something that we've got to remember to do in a kind of nice sequential way to get it right it's not a case of just just marking up the guitar cabs chucking them through the pa and, and turning turning the sliders up to see to see yeah. what what happens because exactly it, you know it's it's, it's a bit more <laughs> nuance than that exactly it is a bit more nuanced but it doesn't have to be complicated if, as long as you follow a kind of process you know and, it, and the process should be you know kind of and i'll go into it in more detail later on I'll, I'll give you an example of the process i would follow if i was doing um doing sound for a band but um the process should be you know basically set your equipment up um set your microphones up check everything individually first in headphones using your judgment to make sure it sounds okay mix things in your headphones so that you can hear the you know everything together and then start listening to how things sound out the front and then from there maybe start looking at your your monitor mixes which for a lot of a lot of bands a monitor a good monitor mix is just a front of house mix maybe with their individual instrument pushed slightly you know that's what i like if i'm in a band and I'm and I've I'm being given my own monitor mix, and the sound engineer says, "What do you want?" I'll often ask for just I just want the front of house mix, so I can hear the whole band. I can hear what the front of house is listening, but can I have a bit more of me so that I can you know I know what I'm playing well. You know that's where I would start. I think that's what most people want, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I think so. You kind of want to hear yourself in the album, kind of thing. There's a couple of things as well I wanted to speak about in terms of equipment. So microphones. So there's all kinds of different types of microphones. Um, if you're intending to just mic up your guitar amps and you want to mic up a kick drum, you probably want a different microphone for your kick drum. You want something with a larger diaphragm that's going to pick up more low end, more of that thump um, that you're looking for and click from the beta maybe. That's really what you're hearing when you hear a kick drum is a mix of a number of things, you know, the, the, the fundamental low end thump that's happening. You're also hearing like a, the sound of the drum itself, which is like mm -hmm. the boxiness and also you're hearing the click of the beta. Mm -hmm. You know, you want, you want to be able to, to you know allow for all of that so a large diaphragm microphone will give you all of that into your desk and then you can eq those different elements to get the right sound get cases and boxes for everything um, look after your equipment you know you don't want to be i remember when we were in roadrunner i seem to remember for years and years we had just gaffer taped up boxes for everything and then eventually yeah. we got flight cases for stuff yeah. and it actually made our lives easier we had proper boxes for everything we could carry things easier we didn't have breaking cardboard boxes for yeah. lights and stuff you know it just became your life becomes a lot easier um you mentioned earlier on your band you don't go out with a sub you go out with two 15 inch yeah. tops okay so i wanted to speak about that because i think there's a lot of people that, that go out in bands and they have these larger speakers for tops you've got 15 mm. inch speakers or you know 12 inch speakers those you know the specs say it can handle down to 20 hertz mm. um, and you know so we don't need a sub there's still an advantage to having a sub because you've got to remember 
when they've said it can go down to 20 hertz, they're probably putting a 20 hertz sine wave into it, and it's just doing 20 hertz, and they can they can hear it at a certain pressure level. But that's not what your speaker's doing for the entirety of your gig when you're putting your band through it. You're asking it to do 20 hertz and 100 and 500 and yeah, you yeah, know yeah. 4,000 and 10,000 because of the sizzle on the you know the hi hats maybe, and you're asking it to do all that stuff at the same time. And low frequencies act very differently to high frequency stuff low frequency is not very directional it goes everywhere and that means it takes a lot of energy for your speaker to manage low frequency stuff that's right um, and if you've got a lot of high frequency and upper mids and stuff happening as well in that speaker, then asking asking even a 15-inch speaker that's very capable of doing mm-hmm. low-end stuff to do all of it at once, it's not going to sound as good as you having a sub and a top and having them so that they're doing different parts of the frequency range. Exactly. A sub is still a 15-inch speaker, just in a mm-hmm. different cabinet. It's just dedicated to those frequencies that it can handle comfortably yeah. and not be burdened by the other frequencies. Exactly. So you get you get a you get a better range of frequencies appropriate for that speaker and it's not being clipped with any particular frequencies and hopefully it just creates a more pleasurable uh, audio experience rather than any one speaker feeling like it's taking on too much exactly that and if you've got a sub that does the crossing over for you so it will all you can put your full frequency range mix into that sub and it will automatically separate the, the stuff it is responsible for and then lose loop out from it into your top, then mm-hmm. not only is your sub then dedicated to only doing the stuff it's really good at, but your mm-hmm. top now isn't tasked with doing as much. There's not as much of that frequency range going through. So you get a higher fidelity sound throughout the entire frequency range from employing a sub. And you set up you don't have to have two. You don't have to have two subs and two tops. You know, I've gigged before with other bands where we've just gone out with two tops and one sub. And yeah, that's worked same. beautifully. You know Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the reason why that works really well is, like I said before, because of the non-directional nature of low-frequency sound, it does tend to go everywhere. That's right. High-frequency stuff is very directional. You do need two speakers for high-frequency stuff. Yeah, it's like your 5.1 or 7.1 cinema setup at home, isn't it? It's like the 0.1 is the sub. You don't need... You you can have two subs, and that's lovely. You can have as many subs as you want, but you don't necessarily need it because low-frequencies fill the room in a different way there. It's not easy to pinpoint where it's coming from, but so long as it's there, it will fill in that range of the, the, the spectrum that you want to be Exactly to be, to be there to give you that low end. Oomph. Exactly that. Um, yeah, and it's again if you're trying to do this because um, you one you want to have a better experience on stage, but you also want to create a higher fidelity experience for your audience. Mm. Then having you know a sub is going to massively improve that as well. And the other thing to point out here as well, which you haven't mentioned, it's not just about your kind of fidelity as a band and the experience for the audience, but it goes a lot to improving the kind of perception of your band as a, from a professional standpoint mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to appear you know attractive to more you know kind of events and and you know the types of gigs you know if you can do a very professional show in terms of not just the songs you play and how well you play but the sound and the experience for the venue and then you're going to get more gigs you're going to get better paid gigs yeah. um it's it's really important i think to to think about the fidelity of your sound in this way i agree and i think that's a really often overlooked point that you make i mean a lot of people start with it from a very self uh orientated mindset which is we want to have a better sound experience with the musicians on stage okay well let's invest a bit in our sound oh 
well, and then the added benefit of that will be that the audience will get a better sound. Well, arguably, you should be starting with that first. But the, the, the even bigger picture is is that if you want to grow and be uh, able to access more gigs and um, you know get get better bookings and things, it's it's the sound quality and things that people will will, will remember when they'll go. That band sounded that sounded amazing, and that's that's why the investment often will then pay dividend because you'll be booking better venues, better better gigs. You can you can yeah. command a higher price, right? You know, people people can tell the difference between a, a, you know just a, a a good amateur pub band and a band that goes out with a, with a really decent professional sound setup, which allows you then to go, well, this is how much we charge per gig, but you know you can see why because the sound quality that we deliver is is is, is that next step up. Exactly that, exactly that, and that's going to improve your you, you know your income and your your just everything really for your mm-hmm. band. You, you're going to have mm-hmm. a, a better experience going forward and it doesn't it doesn't take a huge amount of effort it just takes like we've said so far just a little bit of knowledge a little bit of effort um just just some careful considerations for how you do things maybe a little bit of extra time before a gig to to set up um you can just you know the the benefits are far greater than than you know the the extra effort you have to put in um i wanted to also talk about monitoring you know fold back you know individual monitor mixes whether that's through wedges or in-ear monitors um and there's multiple approaches to this depending on the number of auxiliary buses that you might have on your desk um do you know you, you said you've got like a 12 channel you know powered desk with your band do you know how many auxiliary mixes that you have i don't i don't okay so chances are you've probably got one or two on that mm-hmm. size desk if you've got a 12 channel desk with you know stereo out built in fx you've probably got maximum two mm-hmm. auxiliary buses which means you've got what an auxiliary bus is is a it's a separate mix bus so you think of your main output you know the two yeah. faders that you would put up that goes to your front of house that's your main mix bus mm-hmm. um and you can pre-fader mix your own auxiliary mix of of everything that's going through the desk as well that's how we get our own monitor mixes mm-hmm. so what that means is you could have the whole band going through the front of house but you can have auxiliary mix number one going to the singers iems or you know flow edge yeah. and um and what that allows you to do is have a completely different mix for the singer that mm-hmm. you would adjust on the desk and then mm-hmm. maybe auxiliary two could be a shared mix between everybody else in the band yeah. that could be more like the front of house but if your vision in your mind is that hey i want our band in the future to be able to have everyone has their own monitor mix then mm-hmm. you need to count how many different monitor mixes you need and that's basically how many different auxiliary mixes you, your desk needs to have mm-hmm. if that means upgrading your desk um, then you need to have that in mind when you upgrade your desk yeah and if you've got a digital desk by the way this is something that's that's really cool that, that you see most days now um, yeah i did with it the other day with uh, with damien's band and i was just blown away by this technology it was amazing yes yeah, so, so most most bands that, that i go out with now I, I haven't seen a band go out with a desk for 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 ages in in kind of the wedding circuit most guys now are going out with um digital desks uh, which which are basically just just a connection box with a wi-fi signal and everything's done over the ipad you know yeah. um, and that that desk can have however many inputs however many outputs but the coolest thing about those is that what they all offer you now is individual control of your auxiliary buses so yeah. as the guitarist now i don't need to go hey mr sound engineer i need more guitar in my in my you know 
speakers all of a sudden can do it myself off my iPhone. Without no, yeah, that's why everyone did it. This gig, it was so cool. Everyone, the sound engineer, yeah, just said, "Here, here's the here's, here's the URL, here's the address, or, here, or here's the app to download." And uh, yeah, there you go. Make make your own monitor. Box. It was exactly. Crazy. And I've I've made a recommendation. So so there's lots of people like Behringer do them. You know, Alan and Heath do them, but Soundcraft do one. Soundcraft are a fantastic brand. In mm-hmm. you know they've been around for years. One of the best uh, companies that makes mixing desks. They do one called the UI16 Remote Control Digital Mix. It's got 12 mic inputs, four auxiliary buses. That's really good for your basic band. Um, it's obviously got a you know, main front of house out and, and it's got effects built in. You can control everything over an iPad. You can connect. Um, all your different band members can connect via a, a web browser to control their own monitor mixes. You can do everything you'd need to do that we've talked about doing. Phantom power for any mics that you use that need phantom power. Just really great. And do you know how much that is? I looked. I must say, I looked when you sent me the link because I was like, oh, this, I mean, I, I think it, I, I'm, this is going to be a step for me to convince uh, um, the band I'm in to, to go down this route because I'm not sure how up they are for investing in a lot of new equipment and things. But I was gobsmacked at how reasonable it was. Absolutely gobsmacked. I was like, yeah, wow, that's, that's less than a gig. Right? Exactly. It's 300, 300 not quid. For a desk that it doesn't have, obviously, you need a separate power amp for your speakers. Yes, or if you've course. got active speakers, then it's a no-brainer. You can turn up to a gig with your active speakers and that desk and an iPad or a computer or a phone. You can do your sound for the entire gig from a phone if you want. And that's that's all you need. It's the way forward, definitely. And then it, you can say to your really bandmates, is. well, if you want more kick drum in your monitor mix or whatever, yeah, do it. You can do it yourself. Just open it up on your phone. Just connect to it. Open it up on your phone. You can restrict access to everyone who's in the band so they only can control their own monitor mix and not the front of house. It's so cool. Like that are great. Um, so cool. 350 quid. I mean, that just shows you how technology is advanced, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, I dare say if we were in Roadrun still, this is the direction we would we would we would be going. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a no brainer now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. A, well, that's what, that's basically what we had when we were, the desk we had was a set. I think we had an Allen and Heath 16 channel analog desk with built in digital effects. It had four or five auxiliary buses, I think, mm. you know, mm. and I think that retailed for about a grand, that desk. Yeah. We got, you know, now you can get something that is about, I mean, that was big. We had a big flight case, right? That was a, that was a big old, you know, that, that soundcraft one you could put in a backpack because there's no faders there's no controls on it it's just inputs and outputs so it's just a box of inputs and outputs and you all the faders are digital inside software connected so it's it's great and then you don't even need a table for your mixer if you're at a small venue that mixer can just sit under your speakers on the floor that's it (laughs) it's just so easy to set up and and do um we're not sponsored by soundcraft by the way should mention there are other manufacturers of digital (laughs) with digital Desks. What do you call them? Is it, is it, is it digital desk or yeah, digital mixer? Yeah. I'd say digital mixer, digital mixer. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah. So get, having something like that really just it just explodes the capability you have to get your sound right, both front of house and on stage. The last thing I wanted to mention was having some equipment wise was like DI boxes. Um, yes. So if you've got like keys in a band or um, you some kind of um, high impedance signal. So high impedance mm-hmm. meaning it's not a balanced audio signal like a guitar. Um, let's say you do want to use the output from say like a line six pod or something. Something like that, 
it doesn't have a balanced output. You want to maybe get that over a long cable run back to your desk or something. Um, you should use a DI box for that. The reason why you would use a DI box, do you know what the difference is between balanced and unbalanced in terms of audio? No, I know the terms and I know uh, that um, for certain things you need a balanced input, but I've, but I've never really understood what the what, what why that is from, a, from an electrical perspective. Okay, so I'll explain to you why that is. So you notice a, mi- a microphone always has an XLR, always has an X- XLR connection. So always got which balanced. is a balanced, which is That's balanced, right? right? Balanced yeah. low impedance signal. So what that means is basically low impedance just means that it's balanced. It means that it is um, it's going to provide a good signal over a long cable run. And the reason it's doing that is because it's actually got two signals. You've got a ground and you've got a positive and a negative. You've always got mm-hmm. those three connections on an XLR. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a, you know a positive and a negative. And what what your microphone's doing is it's sending the same signal twice on that cable on those two different pins, but they're exactly out of phase with each other. So if you can imagine a sine wave going up yeah. and down, you know that's your positive connection. If you imagine turning that sine wave exactly the other way around, mm-hmm. that's your negative connection. So they're doing exactly the opposite thing, the same signal. Um, so you get twice the signal over a long cable run. Now you're going to pick up interference along that cable run on both sure. of those both of those um, connections. What happens at the other end when you get to the desk? Um, a preamp that has a balanced input. What it will do yeah. is it will it will flip the phase of one of those signals so that it's the same as the other and add them together so that you get Probably. twice the signal. But because the interference has now generated in within in phase on both of those signals, when you turn that, when, when the preamp does its thing of turning one of those signals back in phase with the other, yeah. the interference is now out of phase with itself and it cancels itself out. Probably. Right, so it's, an, so it's an automatic way of getting rid of any noise and interference on the connection. So that's why a balanced right. signal is important because you could connect a microphone to a cable that's 200 foot long mm. and you'd still get a good signal to your desk because of that balanced connection. If you connected nice. something that wasn't balanced, that was high impedance, that just had one conductor sending the signal, you'd struggle to get good audio past about 30 feet because of interference and the effects of resistance over distance. So that's why it's important to, that's why it's important to DI some things that aren't balanced output already. I am just... <laughs> you hear you explain that so beautifully, and I and I got it. Thank you, Matt. That's brilliant. That's knowledge earned for life. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it doesn't have to be um, you know complex electronics really to, yeah. to kind of understand these things. It's just um, having a DI box in your kit bag is going to come in handy occasionally when, um, let's say, you've got an iPad that you're using for backing tracks or for mm-hmm. sound effects or something, and you need to get that from your mic stand to the desk which is 30 feet away you could use a very long mini jack cable but when you listen to that on headphones you're probably going to be picking up quite a lot of interference on that Mm -hmm. cable over that Mm -hmm. distance and when you start raising the volume of that um for your front of house mix that means you're really increasing the the you know the the noise floor of the system you're you're what you're doing is you're decreasing the space between the noise floor and the signal and what you want to do is increase that space as, as much as possible you want yours signal noises to be high and your noise floor to be low Um, so not having balanced signal chains really adversely affects your noise to signal ratio you want to keep that down that was it really so in terms of equipment it's 
you know, make sure your mixing desk has the inputs and outputs that you need, including auxiliary buses and effects buses. I'd recommend getting, you know, a compact digital desk that you can control from an iPad. But if you're used to using something more physical, there's still some really good ones out there. Mm-hmm. Mics, um, depending on what you're miking up, you know, drums, guitar amps, whether it's horn, percussion, horns, things like that. For the <laughs> most part, having a bag full of sure SM58s and 57s yeah. and enough mic stands is going to get you out of jail for almost everything that's except your kick drum so yeah yeah great advice um anyway have you got any any questions before oh man yeah can, can you can you come can you come down and engineer one of our gigs and teach us all of this in a live setting i mean look man what you've shared today is like invaluable information and i must say i read through the agenda that you put together ahead of this podcast and i just thought this is this is fantastic it's a really nice logical flow to to how to approach this and i think um i think it's now taking some of this amazing theory and knowledge that you've shared with us today and, and putting it into practice. And, I'll, and I'll, I want to start doing that with the, with, with the band I'm, that I've just joined as well to see and, and hopefully demonstrate to them the, 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 the virtues and benefits of doing this. So, um, but it's also reminded me as to why having a good sound engineer on a gig is just invaluable because this is a, this is the, this is the unsung member of the band, right? He just makes yeah. it all work because what you've talked about does require additional equipment and additional time, um, albeit you and others that are very competent in doing this that I've gigged with in the past just take it in their stride and it, and it doesn't really eat into the additional setup time. But I know for us it's going to require, at least for the first few times if we're going to go down this route, it's going to require some additional setup time. So we've got to get there earlier just to get all of this in, you know, working properly as you've described. But I've got I've got a million questions, mate, but I think what would be great is if, if um, I, uh, we, we start trying this out with my band and then, then we'll come back to you on some of the things that we experienced and noticed um yeah uh, just and, and then and then you can you can take it from there but wow what a what a great um uh, starter today and, and for anyone listening and thinking about how they can get a better on stage sound a better front of house sound and overall just a more pleasurable experience um using some some simple equipment um that you know won't won't break the bank just yeah thanks matt that's really really yeah, useful no worries i mean it's it's you know take a take a simple approach i mean you guys in your band you don't need to change everything for it to get better like you said you can just a couple of mics to mic up your guitar amps and then you can bring your guitar amp volume down on stage and that's going to change the world for you guys you can start improving the balance of things out front as well because now you can get a nice spread of audio from your pa speakers you know you can you can start having your guitar coming back in your monitors slightly which Mm -hmm. is going to mean you can hear yourselves well enough without being crazy loud on stage again you're going to feel happy you've got a better mix you're going to be you're going to feel happy people can hear you out front better and if all of a sudden you need to be louder on stage just don't do it from your app do it from your auxiliary mix then you're not affecting the balance of anything on the front so that just doing that you know just miking up those two things and putting them through the desk like that is going to change change the world for you guys it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be everything that i've said so but like a, just a quick example process for what I would do for a gig. Yeah. You, number yeah. one, obviously you set up, you position your speakers and monitors, get everything set up and connected. Um, the way you would do connections as well, I would always connect all the inputs to your PA, connect all the um, outputs from your PA, turn your desk on, and then lastly, turn your speakers on. You don't want to be, you don't want to have your speakers on and then turning other things on, getting pops and bangs going through your PA speakers and things. Connect your headphones to your 
your PM, do that next because remember you're going to be checking everything through headphones first, so, so mm-hmm. you can be happy with the sound of everything. Um, use some background music, um, plug a iPod or whatever, you know, some um, MP3s into your PA system and get them playing through all your speakers. That's your line check to make sure all mm-hmm. your speakers and the connections are working. Yeah. Um, Remember to check all your mics work. So if you've got all your mics plug in, now go from channel to channel just doing a line check. Yeah, every mic works. Um, listen for noise and cracks and pops and things so you can check if cables are faulty. Uh, then turn all your mics on to the front of house. And one of the things we haven't talked about is just feedback control. Um, mm-hmm. So you might not have much control on your desk over like a global EQ, like a graphic EQ for the main mix, but you, you'll have what's called parametric EQ on each of your channels for your mics. Yeah, right? yeah. So you can use that effectively to control feedback. Um, feedback's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing in a performance. If you're setting up and doing a sound check, feedback is very important. Um, if you're in a band and you get feedback, people tend to panic. What would you do if you got feedback on a microphone? What's the first thing you would do? The first thing you do is, 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 is turn down the microphone, right? Exactly. That's that's what that's what you would do as a response. But um, what you should do, really, is before the gig, you should be finding these frequencies where feedback tends to occur for the venue. Every venue has resonating frequencies that can add up on top of each other and you end up with spikes and dips mm. in certain frequency ranges. So you can find those in your sound check. That's what I would do next. Um, I'd just turn my mics up, listen for where feedback's about to start first, and then use your parametric EQ. Most feedback happens in the mid-range frequencies. That's why you'll notice if you've got like a a parametric EQ on your mixing desk where you've got, you'll you'll usually have like high and low, and that's just one knob. And then you might have two mid knobs, which is actually four knobs, right? What it is, is you've got a frequency button, frequency frequency knob which is turning from through a frequency range and a cut and a gain knob which is going to boost or cut at the frequency you've selected on the other so what i would do is um the 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 knob and the the mid-range control that is the boost or cut i'd boost it a few db get that feedback going even more yeah yeah I'd boost it quite, you know, boost it quite a lot and then just slowly sweep the frequency one until yeah. the feedback that you heard was about to happen happens a lot. That means you found the yeah. frequency. Found the frequency. Yeah. And then you cut, then you take the gain up and you cut it down. What you've done is you've isolated that frequency mm-hmm. that, give, mm-hmm. that is giving you feedback and you're cutting only at that frequency. So okay. you're doing the same thing when you're bringing the volume down on the microphone to stop. Yeah, yeah. you're just you're doing it globally. The frequencies down yeah. when you do yeah. it. So you're affecting the sound quite adversely. So if you do it with the EQ, you can effectively just turn down the frequency that's feeding back and the rest of those frequencies, you know, they remain where they should be. And that way you get a much better sound. So feedback is really, it's not necessarily a problem. It's information. It's the room telling you, I have a problem at this frequency, by the way, you should sort that out. Dial it out. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. should dial it out. And once you found it on one microphone, because it's a room thing, mm. you know, what I used to do with our, with our band with Rod, I'd find the main frequency that was feeding back. Once I'd cut it on one mic, I'd just do the same setting on all the others. And then we never, never have feedback problems. We didn't. We didn't have that at all. No, because you just found that fundamental problem in the room and you cut it out in the 
desk. So that's the next step. That's kind of called, a sound engineer will call that ringing out the system, finding yeah. the problems in the room and ringing them out with the EQ. Nice, nice. Then at that point, you need to get in the musicians and band members to sound check, line check. You want to listen to everyone individually. Whatever's connected to a mic, you want to be listening to it individually first until you're happy with how it sounds coming in. And then once you've got everything coming in and you're happy with the individual sound of everything, then you should be mixing the balance of the band in your headphones, get it sounding how you want, and then send it to the front of the house and go out and listen to how it's coming out of the speakers. Is it loud enough? Is it quiet enough? Is the, are the speakers imparting and the room imparting any changes to the frequency spectrum that I didn't hear in the headphones? Do I need more bottom, top, mid? Make some adjustments and then once you're happy, do your monitor mixes and then gig. And that's basically <laughs> that's basically it. That's amazing. And and how long would you allow for that process for the average uh, band? Obviously, you'll get quicker over time doing it. But how, but how long would you say? Because setup um, should should be a pleasurable experience and things. But as, as you get closer to nine o'clock and you're about to go on, and if you're still in the middle of trying to find find yeah. a frequency that's, that's that's causing issues, or you're getting yeah. feedback, or a mic not working then panic sets to set it starts to set in and then all of a sudden it starts to fall apart and you end up invariably with the worst sound that you started with because you, you you've not finished That's going right. through this so i think time is is also important so what would your advice be to the average gigging band to, to allow to go through those steps that you so really I, nicely I, I laid out say for us it's a really good question because the first time you do it you shouldn't be doing it in a gig situation if you uh-huh. if you're doing a new if you've got a new pa system and you're going to decide to do all this stuff mic everything up do it do that in a rehearsal space yeah. the first time it's going to be some effort but you don't want to have issues that you don't know how to solve before a gig and and then you know lose confidence in it get used to it first in rehearsal space um there's some elements to what i mentioned like you know when i said you know get this get the sound of the band right and through the mics and then the mix the sound of how you want the band sound in your headphones first yeah that part shouldn't change from gig to gig so once you've done your first gig and you're happy with the mix of everything and how everything sounds take a photo of that and that can be a starting point the next gig and you'll mm-hmm. find that part of the, of the sound engineering will take a fraction of time than it did the first time that's good advice how did we do it last time use yeah. that as the benchmark start, for, yeah good idea start, start with that same with your mics if you're using the same mics for the same instruments you know make sure your yeah. your amps are, and, and stuff have the same settings as they did last time and yeah. what it should be going forward after the first couple of times is just a matter of adjustment rather than having to rewrite the book on sound nice. engineering each gig but once you're used to it i'd say an hour is enough um, yeah. the first time you do it maybe give yourself an hour and a half um yeah. doesn't have to be particularly complicated yeah. um if you're a five-piece band you know like you guys are you know five-piece guitar rock band an hour to an hour and a half tops should be what you need to do to do this yeah. you know um i have one last piece of advice as well this is a bit of homework as well this is really mm. going to help with solving problems on the fly mm. and that's to do with the way we hear sound and perceive sound and translating that into equalization so if, I, I bet i could i could describe something to you and you know what i mean in your head mm. um so if i said to you can you imagine in your head what a microphone what a person sounds like when it what's the best way to describe this could you imagine in your head if i said a nasal sounding singer yeah absolutely so if you if, if you were listening to a band thinking well the band sounds a bit that singer sounds too nasally or a bit too kind of honky sounding you know yes. it's not been eq'd properly you'd understand you can picture in your mind's ear <laughs> 
what that sounds like, right? But can yeah. you translate that to a frequency range on an on an EQ? If you were to immediately try and you know EQ that out to make it sound better, a bit more rounded, a bit more flat, would you know what frequency to go to immediately? That's a really good skill. So I would I would potentially start with the mid range and be looking to kind of maybe boost the mid range frequencies a little bit. But which exact frequencies, I'm not sure. It'd be a case yeah. of me 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 experimenting, but. Uh, I know, and having worked with you for a long time, um, uh, that you would know, and others that I've worked with as well. Again, I'll, I'll mention them again, but Damien Lodrick again has, has taught me a lot about this, and, and he has the same approach to you, where he goes, "Yeah, I know what frequency that is," and it, yeah. and it would be, and it would be, you know, I'd be boosting this by about this much to overcome it. So, but you, you, there's a science to it, isn't it? You can train yourself to try and understand what all these different frequencies are for different instruments, and, and, and identify. Yeah. more quickly what it is you're trying to, to do with the EQ. That's right. And, and also there are common problems with certain instruments. So like, for example, right. if you mic up a kick drum, you don't want to be just thinking, well, it's low end, so I just want to boost the bass and cut the top, you know. Right. There are certain elements and there's fundamentals to the sound. There are overtones. There'll be mm. certain parts across the entire frequency range that are important to the sound of that kick drum. So when a kick drum sounds like it's too, like, woofy, you know, like it's too... It's making like a horrible sound in the mid range. That's you know you can know the thumps there, I know the clicks there. But this horrible boxiness happening in the mid range. You know, it tends to be at around six hundred hertz, which is kind of upper mids. You know, so you'd want to cut around that. But you might not know if you're not a sound engineer. You're doing this for the That's first it. time. So going through that stage I said earlier of listening to things on headphones and getting it sounding good, that's probably going to be your most challenging part because if you can identify in your ear, you know, oh, this doesn't sound good. I don't know how to make it better. That's an important bit of homework I think everyone should do. But there's good news. You don't have to spend time listening to frequency ranges and instruments <laughs> and trying to figure it all out. Memorising each one. <laughs> exactly. You can just go on the internet and you can get a cheat sheet, which is right. basically just a picture of the audio frequency range, you know, from like 20 hertz up to 20k hertz. And there'll be right. lists of different instruments, different items, and it'll tell you, you know, where along the frequency range are certain char- characteristics for this instrument. So I'm looking at one now that I put on the agenda. And, and the top one is the kick drum. And, and what it's telling me, this cheat sheet is, is that between kind of 20 and 100 hertz is the bottom end. Yeah. Um, between 100 and 300 hertz is where you get the rounded sound of the of the kick drum, so that boxiness. And then above 300 hertz is where you get the muddiness, so that's the stuff that you want to be cutting out. Um, the, the snap and the slap of the beta is at like 2K above, you know. So these are really interesting things. It's telling me, it's mm. telling me were the were the different characteristics of these instruments exist in the frequency range so if i'm listening to a kick drum and thinking oh, i can hear this the, the beat way too much it sounds like a click not a thump what's wrong well i can look at my, my cheat sheet and go oh, okay i need to cut above two hertz or two kilohertz you know same with things like piano for example um the you know the piano goes from about do you know what the frequency range of a piano is i don't this up actually last time so the frequency range of a piano is from about 80 hertz i think or wow, less to up to about four four k right you go from the bottom key and just play every key all the way up to the top that's this practically everything from just above what the human ear can hear 
to you know upper mids going into highs that's a huge yeah. frequency range yeah, you're like a piano that can be quite difficult but understand if you're listening to a piano and you think it sounds quite muddy you know that tends to happen around 300 hertz and that's not something I've necessarily learned mm-hmm. just looking at this cheat sheet it's telling me so get a that's cheat right. sheet yeah good, good advice have a picture of it print it off and stick it in the box with your mixing desk or where your headphones nice. are and then if you think something sounds a particular way this yeah. cheat sheet will tell you you know what you're thinking but it'll tell you where in the frequency range that's happening and it'll really help oh man that is such great advice that is such great advice uh, and it's also again reminded me how lucky we were to have you in our last band <laughs> with all of this knowledge right? <laughs> oh man what a pleasure what an absolute pleasure it's so, such great tips and advice you shared with us today Matt I, I can't thank you enough honestly man it's, it's given me the inspiration to sit down with the guys and figure out how we how we manage this all together because you know we were lucky and I've been in bands where I've been lucky enough to have people that know all of this stuff and they take care of it for you so you can just plug in and play but you know that's that shouldn't be taken for granted and I think now it's incumbent on all of us certainly in my bands to kind of figure this out and, mm. and support each other and, and work together to try and get that that sound and it's going to be a bit of a learning curve and arming ourselves with some knowledge that you talked about but it, yeah. it, it will pay dividends. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for everything that you shared today, mate. Yeah, no worries. And, and like I said, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. You don't have to go from zero to a hundred in this. You know, I think what you've been talking about doing and just kind of micing up your amps and just doing that for now, just to try and bring your stage volume down is a really great way of starting to improve your system. You might find that's all you need to do for you guys. Um, but going forward, you might find you want to improve everything as much as you can and you can do it um you can do it without having to you know um learn do a three-year degree in sound engineering right you don't have to do it <laughs> yeah but it's nice to have, it's nice to have as, as you as you are as you're a case in point officer. Yeah. <laughs> there we go oh mate thank you for cool, that yeah, it's been a good one today. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a long one, a complicated one, but it's been good fun. Been yeah, nice I've been talking about it. Yeah, well, I think this is going to be the beginning of the journey for, for for you and I, in the same way that we've been revisiting guitar tech tips and setup tips periodically after yeah. we did the initial kind of you know uh, master's class session on it. This, I think, has been a great start to it. But I, I, I feel like I'm just just beginning to taste the initial kind of potential with this, and I've got no doubt I'll be coming back to you with some more questions and future podcasts around uh, around experience as we've been trying out all of these different things to get your advice on it. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to hearing how you guys get on, mate. And, uh, Cheers, pal. Cheers. And, uh, yeah, he's to, he's to better sound in the future. He is to better sound. That deserves it. A band oh, deserves well. to, be heard, uh, to be heard in better detail. And cool. It doesn't every band deserve it. Every band yeah. deserves it. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool, man. Brilliant. All right, mate. Well, I'm looking forward to having another catch up with you next week. You got anything planned other than gigs for the week, guitar wise, music wise? No, just um, just gigs, gigs for the week, and then um, what I might do is is um, see if we can get a rehearsal in to to try out some of the things that you've suggested. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a that is one thing that I'll take away from today is uh, for the first time you try and do it. Don't try and do it in a gig situation in a in a strange yeah. venue under pressure of setting up and having to go on. You know, mm. do it. In 
in a rehearsal first where you've got more time just to focus on that element and then um, we'll, we'll try it at a gig. So I think that's what I'm going to try and do this week if I can is speak to the guys about setting setting up the PA and trying these things out in a rehearsal setting. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I'll try and do. And then, yeah, just two gigs this weekend. So with family stuff and work stuff and everything, that's going to be a, a full week for me. Um, how about you? Any, any pieces that you're working on or playing with? You've got a gig coming up as well. I've got a gig coming up on the 10th. Uh, September, which is a wedding gig down in Kent somewhere. That's uh, going to be good fun, I think, because obviously it's a bigger band, seven, four, seven or eight piece band. So nice. I like those gigs because I get to kind of uh, sit back a little bit. You know, don't, I don't have to worry too much about playing too much guitar, you know, yeah. but also at the same time, you know, I like listening to other musicians, you know, that's the mm. thing I've always enjoyed the most about playing live. I yeah. like hearing other talented musicians. It's not all about me. Yeah, know, yeah. Like, as much as I love playing guitar and doing guitar solos and things like that, most of these gigs I'm just on rhythm guitar duty all night. One or two songs, maybe Johnny Be Good and Sora Standing There by the Beatles tends to be the only songs I get to solo on. Yeah. But I get to listen to other amazing musicians, you know, sax player and a keys player who's awesome and, you know, it's just everyone. So I enjoy those gigs more because, you know, I feel like I'm surrounded by, you know, inspiring musicians. I totally get that. I totally get that. That's often what makes the gig. It's not your own stuff. Yeah. You, you've heard yourself play before. It's how that interacts with other people and what they do to the song, which which are not expecting, and they take it the prize, and you go, "Oh, that was a cheeky little thing," or "That was uh, that was a great little note choice." Those are the things that 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 put a smile on my face at gigs. It's what other it's what other people do. Yeah, okay, that's right. And it's just occurred to me as well that when this podcast comes out, it'll be after that gig. So how spooky is that? So I, I have a gig last Friday. That's what I should be saying. <laughs> Time and relativity has just dawned on you. <laughs> A uh, musician with a sense of time? No. Yeah, never, never. All right, buddy. Well, we better wrap it up. We better wrap it up. We'll, we'll be back again next week, and I have no doubt for, for more for more great, great conversation. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But have a cracking week, mate. Good gig tonight. And I will uh, speak to you soon. Yeah, take care, pal. Speak to you soon. All the best, bud. Well, there we have it. Another great show this week from us. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got lots of information from that one. Remember to come and support us on our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. Just go there and search for Guitar Smarts. Um, leave us a rating and review in your podcast app that you listen to us on. And if you want to buy some merch, then follow the links in the description as well to our Etsy shop where you can buy some Guitar Smarts merchandise. And also, if you do want to support the show, but you're not bothered about getting some merchandise, come and say hello to us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash guitar smarts, where you can leave us a small donation that can really help to support the show. Anyway, I'll speak to you soon. Bye.